0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Film Music Friday. I am your host, Aaron Smale, and before we get started on today's topic, I just want to thank everyone who took the time to give me feedback and compliments on the first episode. I really appreciate it. Also, for those of you who follow the podcast on Spotify, subscribed on Apple Podcasts, and follow the Instagram account, really, thank you very, very much. As I mentioned a bit on Instagram, future episodes, including today's, will be less scripted, and a bit longer, but no more than 30 minutes if I can help it. I'm really aiming for entertaining, informative, and digestible content that can easily fit into your schedules. I also wanted to touch on the podcast's theme music, which I was asked about a few times. It actually wasn't written by me, but rather by my dad. He wrote it back in 2003 when I was about 5 years old, and he named it Aaron, after me. So, being familiar with the tune Growing Up, I thought it'd be fitting to use my dad's piece as an intro and outro theme, with his permission of course, and I orchestrated and arranged the version that you hear at the tops and tails of each episode. On today's episode of Film Music Friday, we are looking at my top 10 scores of the 2010s, or of the last decade. So many original scores to choose from, and so many that I personally connected with. But these are the original scores that I found to fit some establishing criteria in a ranking order the best. The criteria is this. Number one, that the music stands out and move me in some way. So, encouraging me to feel for the characters in the story through laughter or even through tears. Number two, that it, as a soundtrack album, holds up on its own after the movie is finished. So essentially, can I listen to this album and sort of re-experience the film through the album? And number three, does it serve the artistic integrity of the film? Now, of course, they all do amazingly well because it has to, or it doesn't get produced. But I'm ranking how best they each serve the film in their own ways. Now that we've established the criteria, let's get into my top 10 original scores of the 2010s. Here we go. Number 10, Her. Score by Arcade Fire's Will Butler and Owen Pallett. So, Her has some really interesting melodies and themes. Uh, I found the score to really convey the sort of futuristic setting and also the loneliness and the beauty found in the relationship between Theodore, uh, played by Joaquin Phoenix, and the Siri-like AI, Samantha, played by um, Scarlett Johansson. I think the music stands out as much as it needs to. It's beautiful in the appropriate moments, but it also leaves room for the story to come through even when the music is prevalent. The album, interestingly, never got released. It's only available on YouTube and some streaming services to listen to as far as I'm aware. So I suppose it'd be difficult to argue that listening to it allows one to re-experience the film, truly. But I suppose even on YouTube or something, one can reminisce about the themes in the film. It does totally serve the artistic integrity, though, quite well, as it helps us empathize with something I think the vast majority of us haven't really experienced uh, being in love with, you know, artificial intelligence. I think the score is really worth listening to if you can find it, and, you know, to boot the fact that it was uh, written by Arcade Fire, which is a Canadian band. Number 9 20th Century Women by Roger Neal. In this wonderful film, uh, the composer Roger Neal focuses on creating an atmosphere using era-appropriate synthesizers, keyboards, and other instruments to craft an elegant and introspective score that really makes the audience reflect on the generational shifts in popular culture at the time, and through that, the struggle of the three generations at play in the film. Um, The film, of course, centering around uh, 15-year-old Jamie and his 55-year-old mother, Dorothea. The music absolutely stood out and moved me, uh, and the album does hold up on its own. But to truly understand the film through the soundtrack, uh, you have to acknowledge the necessity of a few pre-existing tunes throughout. For example, there's a song on the soundtrack called "Don't Worry About the Government" by the Talking Heads, and I think it really helps to communicate the uh, the generational shift in music with um, you know punk rock on, on the up and up in 1979. So, it lacks a bit uh, on that side of the criteria, you know, whether it uh, serves the artistic integrity, the score on its own. Obviously, the score does serve the artistic integrity to the film when it's happening, especially towards the end. Obviously, not spoiling anything. If you want to watch it, I highly recommend the film. Uh, And the music really rounds it out, I think. So, yeah, that's 20th Century Women. Moving on. Number 8. At Eternity's Gate by Tatiana Lisovskaya. I found this score breathtaking in At Eternity's Gate, the biopic about Vincent van Gogh, played by Willem Defoe to amazing effect. The score itself was repetitive in structure, but I think it was appropriately so to show what Vincent was trying to escape from within his own art. There are several beautiful scenes that are just visuals and music, and I think the instrumentation, too, of mainly piano and a few strings (it couldn't be more than four or five instruments total) brings us so intimately into the tumultuous mind of one of history's most groundbreaking artists. Many of those visuals I mentioned are beautiful, vast landscapes, or Vincent's artistic renderings of them, and the music, rather than similarly vast, is small and relatively simple, and I'll use the word again, intimate, to a really powerful effect. This excerpt is playing while Vincent hikes up a hill and he takes in the sunset. Overall, the music absolutely stood out, and I'd say it was the third best element to the film, behind the cinematography and the acting. Because of its repetitive nature, I find you can't really experience the film chronologically all that well, but it definitely holds up as a soundtrack through how it makes you feel. And it absolutely serves the artistic integrity, very highly so. That is at Eternity's Gate. Moving on to number 7. Black Klansman by Terence Blanchard. I watched Black Klansman earlier this year and I was so taken with Blanchard's music in this crazy powerful story. His Oscar-nominated score is a mix of modern scoring, traditional leitmotif with some R&B influence, and some great funk music. The music helps to bring us right into the 70s, and it keeps us on the edge of our seats in those tense moments in the film, as well as keeping things light when necessary. The music totally stands out, wonderfully so, and being a black comedy film, there weren't a lot of moments of heartfelt emotion, but the moments of dramatic tension were greatly enhanced by the music. It's a great album to listen to. I think one is able to re-experience the film quite well, but maybe not as well chronologically, like At Eternity's Gate. It's still very good, though, and I will say that it serves the artistic integrity of the film extremely well, as it conveys the tone exactly, in my opinion. Like I said before, light where it's light, darker where it's darker, and then, within those moments, the music takes it further somehow and keeps you on your toes when listening, which I always admire in a film score. Very, very good. Number 6, Little Women by Alexandre Dumas. I watched Little Women in theaters a year or so ago when it first came out in theaters and I remember trying to focus on the acting and the story, but DePla's music in this film is magical. It's like a big warm hug. Also nominated for an Oscar this past year, the score does everything and more for the story. I remember getting the soundtrack after I watched it, and I ended up listening to it quite a bit on my phone, among other music selections, on my most recent trip to New York in January of this year. I still associate a few of the pieces in the soundtrack with particularly wonderful moments on that trip. I'll speak much more of that concept of reappropriating film music and other situations in a later episode. Needless to say, the score absolutely stood out and moved me, particularly so in that because the film takes place in winter, the music reflects that. De quite literally conveys the gentle snowfall and shimmering ice-covered ponds and even the warmth of Christmas time without it sounding too cheesy. That being said, when you least expect it, his notes or choice absence of notes can break the heart just the same. The soundtrack absolutely holds up on its own pretty clearly, and it also serves the artistic integrity absolutely wonderfully. The only thing keeping it at number six on this list is that there are other scores that proved to be more unique in their own ways. This one lacked that special something extra, despite being really lovely across the board. Number five, Black Panther by Ludwig Göransson. You'll remember I praised Ludwig Gorenson's score to Black Panther in the first episode of the podcast, and that's why it sits here at number 5, which is special considering I'm not generally the biggest fan of superhero films from Marvel, DC, etc. But Black Panther is special, and I acknowledge everything it means for so many, score included, because, like I highlighted in episode 1, Gorenson's score has that extra spark of authenticity in the African sounds that feature in it. This excerpt here is from the second piece in the soundtrack called Royal Talent Fighter. I love it, it's so fitting for this film, and you can hear how many instruments are playing at one time, and the wide scope of the orchestra, which is reflective of the wide scope of the story. This score is fantastic, and it absolutely stood out and moved me when I watched the film, but I think to a point because it does fall into the category of a superhero movie, I came into it expecting the big sound, and that's what we got. So on that level, it was great, but not so surprising. What was surprising, like I said and will keep saying about this score was the unique instrumentation, the African sounds and the rhythms that really make this score worth listening to again and again, totally re-experiencing the film while doing so. I think it 100% serves the artistic integrity of the film, again the score is authentic, it's big, it's bold, and I think that that's what the filmmakers were going for in this film, absolutely. Gorenson won the Oscar that year for Best Original Score, and deservingly so. I'm really excited to see what else he'll do having most recently scored Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Number 4, La La Land by Justin Hurwitz. is one of those once a generation films, it teems with a modern energy and it won a bunch of Oscars including Best Original Score. I don't think it's the best movie ever, but I do remember the craze that surrounded it back in 2016, back before another craze upended the world for four years. Anyway, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie and the music too. It's interesting, I don't think of it as a musical, but rather as a musical film if that makes sense, musical in the adjective sense. There are actually only seven songs in the film that are sung, with another seven on the soundtrack being instrumental works that were featured in the film, such as Herman's Habit, a jazz tune heard when Sebastian takes Mia to a club to hear a jazz combo play, this. And you also have Planetarium, mainly a dance sequence between Sebastian and Mia, really beautifully done I might add. Justin Hurwitz is the genius behind this versatile score, as he explores popular musical-esque tunes, jazz tunes, and more traditional orchestral music. This is why I'm regarding it fairly high on a list of original scores, as opposed to soundtrack albums, which will be another top ten in its own episode later on. So, the music stood out and moved me 100% because of the nature of the film, and it also totally and completely allows one to re-experience the film, especially if you want to sing along with the actual songs. Does it serve the artistic integrity of the film? Most of it does, yes. I found a couple of the songs a bit plain or trite when compared with the rest of the score. Songs like City of Stars and Start a Fire, which again are good songs, City of Stars won the Oscar for Best Original Song and all, but just in comparison with some of the more complex and interesting melodies and themes, it seems that these two songs were somewhat low-hanging fruit. But this is being really picky. The film is well worth a watch, and the score is really, really magical. And now for a darker turn with number three, Joker, by Hilder Gudnadotir. This movie left me feeling unsettled, to say the least. Not sure if it was Joaquin Phoenix's Oscar-winning performance, if it was the twisted story, or Hildur Gudnadottir's absolutely haunting score. Another Best Original Score winner, I found the music to actually resemble the grimy streets of Gotham City. And likewise, the grime found in Arthur Fleck's mind. That's not to say it's a one-note score by any means, but the unique thing about it is its intense use of string instruments, which makes sense because Gudnadotir herself is a cellist. Like this example here from a piece called Defeated Clown. The way the strings just sort of slide between notes is key because it doesn't sound precise, even though, of course, it is musically. I was fascinated to learn that the bathroom dance scene was actually improvised by Phoenix to Gunnar music, which was already composed. So that scene in particular is a great way to experience the music and the film's plot and character so closely. The music absolutely stood out and moved me at times, again, making me feel quite uneasy But hey, that's the power of music. It also has the capacity to help re-experience the film, but many of the cues sound somewhat similar in tone and where they go musically. So unless you know the film scene by scene, I think that's really the only way you could totally re-experience the film through the soundtrack album, Uh, it's just not something I'd set out to do personally. That being said, it absolutely serves the artistic integrity of the film. Any theme or narrative you can establish for the film, like that it's dark or brooding or somewhat twisted, you could also say for the score, which is quite crazy if you think about it. So that's Joker, and I'm really looking forward to what Hilda's next project will be. Number 2. Phantom Thread by Johnny Greenwood I remember watching Phantom Thread in anticipation of Daniel day lewiss performance, because, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis. And while I was totally wrapped up in his character, Reynolds, I was also unexpectedly taken with the musical score composed by Johnny Greenwood, my first time hearing a score of his. Between the absolutely romantic-sounding score, and I don't mean romantic as in romantic era, I mean romantic in the sense that every scene the music touches, and it's there a lot just screen sophistication, and haute couture, high fashion being a main plot point. At the same time, however, Greenwood brings in and features intimate piano parts that remind the audience of who and what we are focused on in the story. This piece in particular track 7 in the score with Greenwood himself at the piano, titled I'll Follow Tomorrow. It's an intriguing mix of class, charm, but also a bit of an element of trouble in paradise. This score absolutely stood out and moved me, and it absolutely holds up on its own. You can re-experience the film through the music, as the themes are unique enough, I think, to distinguish from point to point. But doing so might be a tad difficult, but definitely worth trying. It also totally serves the artistic integrity of the film in that it helps you throw yourself into the high fashion world of 1950s London, while simultaneously leaving room for intrigue into what really goes on behind closed doors. Phantom Thread. Awesome score. Now before we get to my number one favorite original score of the last ten years, a few honorable mentions, in no particular order, that didn't quite make the list for one reason or another. Inception by Hans Zimmer. The Shape of Water by Alexandre Desplat. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, by Carter Burwell. Isle of Dogs by Alexandre Desplat. Nicholas Patel. And with number one, can I get a drum roll, please? The Grand Budapest Hotel by Alexandre Desplats. surprised, I mean if it wasn't clear already, Desplat is my favorite working film composer today, and his 2014 Oscar-winning score to Wes Anderson's masterpiece The Grand Budapest Hotel is by far my favorite score of the last decade. I've seen this movie well over a dozen times. It's one of those films you can just put on as an escape, it's great for a laugh, and still with an inherent nostalgia throughout, but off the top and at the end in particular that just tug at the heartstrings, longing for a different time even just for a few moments. I want to play three excerpts for you, the first being from the Society of the Crossed Keys, the second being J.G. Jopling, Private Inquiry Agent, and the third being the Mystical Union. Just stunning every time I hear it. The alpine flavor of the instrumentation is absolutely key to the score's success. And fun fact: the whistling that you heard in the last piece, *The Mystical Union*, is Alexandre Desplat himself. He likes putting that in his scores, which is weird, but I also love it. And if I'm not mistaken, his whistling is in one of the main themes in *The Shape of Water* too. Anyway, the music in The Grand Budapest takes everything you could possibly be feeling from the film, and then takes your feelings to the nth degree. Often so through simplicity and nothing too overly complicated. The structure of many of the pieces in the soundtrack follow a basic pattern, where there is a bass line of some kind introduced for four or eight measures, then he builds and adds something more for another four or eight measures, and then something else for four measures and more, and again something new for another four measures after that just to keep us on our toes. Or something else to the same effect. The point is that simplicity proves to be Diplas' greatest ally in his score. The music stood out and moved me when I first watched it, and it never fails to stand out and move me when I watch it again and again. I guess I'm saying that if anyone out there is looking for a way to my heart, the Grand Budapest Hotel isn't a bad bet. This score is also, for me, a textbook example of a score to which you can listen to re-experience the film totally and completely, wherever you are or whatever you're doing. Many a time have I listened to a piece from the soundtrack and pictured the scene in which it takes place or remembered the dialogue that takes place over the music. Of course, between the two, I'll watch the movie over listening to the soundtrack on its own, but if I'm traveling or commuting back and forth, it's a great album to put on. It is instantaneous transportation to the world of the film and being a unique and quirky Wes Anderson comedy, the score complements the artistic integrity of the film amazingly well. I couldn't actually conceive of any other kind of music to go with it. And there you have it, folks, my top 10 scores of the 2010s. I highly recommend you watch all of these films, as they're all so wonderful, music aside, but of course the music is one of the main reasons I myself keep coming back to them, and will keep on doing so in the future. I hope you all enjoyed this episode of Film Music Friday. And if you follow me on Instagram, either at Smale underscore Aaron or at Film Music Friday, send me a DM telling me what your favorite score of the last decade is. I'll feature it on the next episode. Thanks once again for tuning in. And don't forget to share the podcast on social media if you like listening to me talk about film music on Fridays. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay well, my friends. This has been Film Music Friday, the podcast, and I'm your host, Aaron Smale. Thanks for listening.